This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, Chance Bingen joins us to discuss the latest updates for VVOL support with NetApp on tap. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have Chance Bingen to talk to us all about uh, VVOLs and the way NetApp supports VVOLs. So Chance, what do you do here at NetApp and how to reach you? Hey Justin, uh, yeah, Chance Bingen. I am a senior technical marketing engineer here at NetApp uh, focusing on virtualization with ONTAP. So uh, my main focus is uh, generally on the VMware uh, side of things. And you can reach me a couple different ways. You can uh, email me. It's just chance.bingen at netapp.com or on the Twitterverse. Uh, it's cb8mydatacenter. So at cb8mydatacenter with the number eight. Don't you mean Broadcom VMware? <laughs> no, that hasn't happened yet. Maybe by the time this <laughs> maybe by the time this publishes, it will happen. Who knows? Um, who knows? Who knows? All right. It is a fast moving uh, economic environment that we are currently in. So it is. It could is. happen. It's right. All right. Uh, so we're here to talk about VVOLs, uh, and you know specifically uh, you know, the VMware product that that, that they're using there. Um, so, Chance, tell me what you know about VVOLs as an overview. Like, what what is it? What is it used for? How does it work? There was something that was introduced prior to VVOLs that is integral to understanding VVOLs, and, and that's VASA. So, NetApp back in about 2012 was a launch partner for VASA. And, and the idea with VASA, which is the vSphere API for storage awareness, is to provide um, storage policy-based management for VM storage that allowed vSphere to really understand storage arrays in ways that are not possible um, through normal data protocols. So through NFS or block protocols, there's only a, a certain amount of, of data you can glean from those because they're, they're optimized for you know, data transfers, right? Throughput, in and out, read, write, whatever the case might be. Of course, you've got with SAN native protocols, you, you've got, um, you know, SCSI block reclamation, SCSI unmap commands, stuff like that, and some other other things, right? It's, it's kind of beyond the scope of this podcast, but um, there are things that they can't tell you. Like, is this array um, truly all flash? Is it um, uh, is it hybrid? Does it have a mix of both? Does this array have replication? Um, does it offer deduplication, compression? Um, and then controls, like so Vasa gives you the ability to control what the storage is doing with your, your VM um, components um, in a much more intelligent way. Like you can say, hey, put a QoS policy on this VMDK because I'm sharing this storage with other things, right? So um, there's the limitation with Vasa 1.0 that came out back in 2012 is that you're really limited in scope in that it applies to a traditional data store. So a VMFS file system or an NFS share, when you apply these settings to it, you're applying them with the, the, within the scope of the data store. So everything shares the same capabilities, the same um, quality of service settings, whatever the case might be. 
Now, fast forward a couple more years, Vasa 2.0 comes out um, around 2015 or so. And that's where they introduced the concept of VVOLs. And, and so what VVOLs are is the idea of taking VM components, VM storage objects, and making them first-class citizens on storage arrays themselves. So for example, a VMDK is a unique entity on the array that the array can be aware of or the, or the VASA provider can be aware of and understand the nature of that file. Uh, you know, what does that specific file require? What do we need to do to make it um, comply with its policies? Uh, you, can you change the policy? Can you change what that file does and how it behaves? So that's really where the, the power of VVOLs come in is giving you the ability to have fine-grained granular controls that are managed with simple policies um, that offload all the data management tasks to the array. So things like um, if you change, uh, let's say you create a policy called, um, you know, extreme performance, right? And it's got uh, a million how did, you know was, how did you know that's what I would call my policy? Well, I mean, you're an extreme kind of guy. So I kind of figured that was. I wanted to be very obvious what this, this policy is for and that that would be yeah. extreme performance. Yeah. Continue. Well, we could, we could call it the Justin policy and it would. That'd Probably. be slow. That'd be slow and boring. <laughs> Extreme performance. I'd be sipping a Mountain Dew Code Red and just enjoying it. So, Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's say um, you want to uh, apply this policy to a VM that has another policy on it. And uh, essentially, let's say you have a customer that wants to upgrade the performance of their of their virtual machine, right? They want to purchase a higher tier of service. And, you know, say you're a cloud service provider or even functioning as a cloud service provider to your internal customers, they can purchase this service upgrade. It simply applies the policy and boom, automatically, you know, that VMDK now gets a higher tier of service because all we do is we modify the QoS policy within ONTAP. So what that does is it allows you to offer um, all these different capabilities gives you awareness into what the array is truly capable of doing, allows vCenter in conjunction with the VASA provider. I guess I should define that as well. Um, and I'll get to that in a moment, but it allows them to make intelligent decisions about um, your storage and do it in a way that is scalable by using policies. And the idea is that you would use these in conjunction with um, an orchestration layer, whether that's vRealize Automation or Ansible or both together, or your own, um, uh, you know, orchestration tier that you write yourself to take advantage of, say, vSphere APIs or REST APIs within ONTAP or, or the ONTAP VASA provider. So um, one thing I failed to define earlier is what is a VASA provider? So a VASA provider is, um, is essentially it's a piece of software. And you can implement it. There's a couple different ways that, that different vendors are implementing VASA providers in the marketplace today. But essentially, it's, a, um, it's an out-of-band command and control um, uh, application that takes care of the VASA APIs that, that come from vSphere, whether it's ESXi or the vCenter, they both talk to the VASA provider at different times for different things. And the VASA provider uh, takes these um, this command and control traffic and translates it into the storage arrays native language. So um, for example, if you want to 
um, create a new VM. So because VM uh, files or you know storage objects become first class citizens on the array, uh, you create this VM. You have to tell the Vasa provider, "Hey, I'm creating this VM. I need you to go instantiate these files because a VM is you know essentially a collection of files that live in a folder, you know, regardless of what the underlying data protocol is." Uh, so it will go and make that happen. And all this is sort of offloaded to the array. And even if you're copying or cloning or whatever, all these things are offloaded to the array in a way that is much more performant and much more intelligent than if you were to use, say, VAAI, for example. With VAAI, there's certain limitations on, uh, on you know, how, off, how effective offloads are, are, um, are in terms of both performance and um, what you can offload. So for example, with NFS VAI, you can't storage vMotion a running VM, or you can, but it's not offloaded to the array. It's a host side read and write. So with Vasa, we can actually offload that and move these things around in a, in a much more intelligent way. Um, and even cloning is faster with Vasa because even with offline files or offline VMs, because um, we, the, the cloning engine that Vasa uses within ONTAP is essentially under the covers. It's very similar to when you do a non-disruptive LUN move or volume move or something like that. Uh, we're doing the same thing under the covers when we move VM files from one volume to another. So it's, you know, it's, it's much more efficient. It sounds like, you know, a lot of this stuff is going to be real dependent on the version of VVols that's available. So what, what version are we on currently? for VVols, and where does that fit into the NetApp uh, story here? Right, yeah. So uh, the current Vasa provider is Vasa 3.0, um, and that includes uh, ad support for things such as replication. So it adds, uh, we support all the, all the data protocols that are supported by um, Vasa 3.0. We support, so it's going to be Fiber Channel, iSCSI, um, NFS. Um, so we support all of those. And of course, the other extended capabilities that Vasa brings, um, so that includes replication, for example. Um, now, the only, the only replication orchestrator that we support right now is VMware Site Recovery Manager. So Site Recovery Manager allows you to create um, uh, all kinds of stuff. I mean, we can, we can dive into um, SRM if you'd like, but essentially it orchestrates... Um, Failover replication, failover, failback, um, you know, um, of of virtual machines, right? Um, so it's a it's a tool that's been around in the VMware universe for for quite a number of years now. Um, but it's really interesting the way the way we do VVOL's replication um, because when you look at policy based management of VM VM replication, uh, you have these concepts of of RPOs, right? And so the way the NetApp Vasa provider works is when you create a VM, it's always going to try and load balance and distribute the VM across um, all of the uh, backing volumes of a VVOLS data store. And, and I should probably explain how that works too, so that um, so I'm not kind of leaving people in the dark. So a VVOLS data store, um, it's really important to understand that a VVOLS data store is not a, a physical data store in the traditional sense, right? So when you think of, say, a VMFS file system as a data store, it lives on a LUN, 
right? Um, or a local disk, you know, whatever the case might be, but it lives on a physical thing. And it's a, those file system blocks are, you know, representative of the underlying thing. If Vival's data store, regardless of what protocol it is, if it's NAS or SAN, um, it, uh, it's really just a logical representation of whatever storage the VASA provider um, exposes to it through the concept of a container. So the VASA provider exposes a VVOLS container to VMware, which it consumes as a data store. That VVOLS container, because it's, it's a logical construct, what we can actually do is take and carve out storage from every node in the cluster, kind of like the way we do flex groups, right? We can take um, volumes from, so you, you'd have like, an, say an eight node cluster, you could carve out volumes from all eight nodes and expose them through the same VVOLS container. <clears throat> so now what this means is you're able to take advantage of, just like with flex groups, the full performance capacity and storage capacity of the entire cluster without, you know, without necessarily having these kind of limits that you would normally have with just like traditional data stores. Like if you have one LUN living on one volume, one on one node, right? That's gonna have some artificial constraints. So now we're able to take and distribute files across an entire cluster. But how do you take files that are distributed across an entire cluster and orchestrate replication of a distributed VM when you've got all the, you know, you've got different write caches and all this other stuff going on? Well, what we do, um, you know, I have a, a, you may have seen a video that uh, should have released by now by the time this, uh, this podcast comes out, where I walk through how this works and what it looks like. But essentially what we do is when you apply a VM storage policy that has a replication RPO component to it, we take and non-disruptively, we find a, a volume within the cluster that matches those RPO requirements. So let's say you have, and that's another thing I should mention, right? With the VVOLS container, it can have dissimilar storage with different replication RPOs, different storage types, right? It can be some, some FAS, some AFF, um, some can have encryption, some can be unencrypted, right? So if you want to create like a secure tier of service, you can have that, that service require encrypted storage. So we have all these controls and the VASA provider, um, again, right? When you apply a policy to a VM, the VASA provider is going to find the storage that matches those policy requirements and intelligently place the VM files on those components that match and only the ones that match that policy. So going back to replication, what we do is when you apply a replication policy, we're going to find a flexible that best matches that policy that exactly matches the RPO because the, um, a fun fact, the RPOs we advertise through the VASA provider come directly from ONTAP itself. These are actually the snap mirror policies. So we advertise snap mirror policies as um, VM storage policy RPOs. And so it'll find a, a matching volume and it'll consolidate all the VM files on that volume. And so the effect that you have is that volume becomes a sort of de facto uh, consistency group, right? Now, it's not a consistency group in the sense of the ONTAP terminology, but functionally that's what it is, right? Because the whole thing is consistent within, within the context of itself. So now you have an entire VM that is you know, non-disruptively migrated together, consolidated into a consistency group and replicated in compliance with the RPO that you've defined 
in the policy. See, I was just talking to Jeff Steiner the other day about consistency groups, and you know, he's he's of this mindset that a consistency group is basically a flex vol. So, in this case, we're talking about consistency groups for multiple volumes. Here, is that is that correct? Well, no, it's kind of the same idea that that Jeff was talking about. So, what we do is we look across all the flex vols, um, find the ones that match the requirements, and then we consolidate everything onto one. So, we do you know like a a non-disruptive LUN move, for example, if you're using block protocol-based VVOLs, we will do a non-disruptive LUN migration from um, different FlexVOLs that don't match the requirements all together onto one that does. And so you're re- you really are doing what, exactly what Jeff was talking about, where you take a single FlexVOL and you utilize it as a consistency group. So I know that um, you mentioned that there's a VASA 3.0 provider, and I recall... Last time I talked about VVOLs, we were we were I guess just thinking about VVOLs 2.0 as a as a support. So so where are we at with that? Are we at 3.0 now? I mean, are we all all the way up to date with that? So we um <clears throat> we are we are working on some some partnerships with VMware for future revisions of the VASA spec. I can't necessarily talk about all of them here, but um yeah. So it's I guess it's we're currently VASA 3.0, VVOLs 2.0. I believe that is correct. Um, we actually have pre-built support for the next VASA spec into ONTAP tools. So if you are currently running the current version of ONTAP tools, you may see some things in there and you might be like, hmm, I didn't know I could do that yet. So uh, some of these things, you know, a little bit of a sneak peek. If, you, if you're running ONTAP tools and you kind of poke around and look at some things, you might see some stuff in there that uh, it may, might make you raise an eyebrow. And if I wanted to find um, documentation information on on what's in there today, is that does that exist? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, everything is documented pretty well um, in ONTAP. Uh, we are actually at today and last week, I've been working on uh, an update to TR4400. So that probably will not be out yet um, by the time this podcast airs, but I'm I'm perfectly happy talking about it. Um, so uh, TR4400 is the best practice guide for VVOLs with ONTAP, and I'll have some new stuff there. It'll, there's uh, It hasn't been updated in a while because we, we typically focus on TR4597, which is you know generally the best the best practice guide for all things VMware and ONTAP. And we, we do talk a little bit about VVOLs in there, but that's not really what it's focused on. Uh, 4400 is the one that they, the one that is. So that's going to have a lot of changes into it because of, uh, you know, VASA has changed a lot in the last couple of years. Um, and I would say uh, doing things like, you know, backing up, being able to back up VMs, being able to replicate and do disaster recovery with, with VVOLS-based VMs. That's really what I think is going to be the, one of two catalysts for catapulting VVOLs into general acceptance, right? Because VVOLs adoption, I mean, it's okay to say this, everybody everybody knows that it has been historically kind of low across all vendors. It's, you know, it's not used and not unique to anybody. Um, but, you know, when, when VVOLs 2.0 was, was released with VASA 3.0, and you can always remember, like, the VVOLs number is going to be one number below the VASA number because VASA came out first. So, you know, uh, VVOLs 2.0 is VASA 3.0. So with the, with the latest spec, when, when you've got the ability to do 
policy-based replication to do disaster recovery. Um, we've now got multiple backup vendors, um, pretty much all, as far as I know, all of the NetApp partner backup vendors um, have the ability to backup VVOLs. Now, granted, they're typically, um, to my knowledge, they're all using VADP um, as opposed to SnapCenter, um, which uses you know, native NetApp snapshot technologies. Um, you know, now that you have the ability to, to offer true enterprise services, because, I mean, you think about it, why would you really want to run business-critical applications on something that didn't have a really good way to take advantage of, of backup technologies leveraging the storage array? I mean, granted, you could always run in-guest backup applications with agents, but, I mean, you really want to do... As much as possible, you want to do agentless backups. Um, so being able to do to back up the VMs themselves and provide orchestrated DR services through SRM, I think that's really the first hurdle we had to get over to get mass adoption of VVOLs um, really rolling. So now um, the next thing I think is really this trend that we've been seeing over the last um, you know couple of years of so many IT organizations transitioning from legacy IT to this kind of cloud service provider model, whether that's their primary line of business as an actual CSP, or if they're just functioning as an internal CSP. Um, and we're seeing a lot of customers um, transitioning to VMware Cloud Foundation, so VCF. Um, Vvols is is supported as what's referred to as principal storage with VMware Cloud Foundation. So that allows you to um, manage storage from the, the SDDC manager provisioned for workload domains and take advantage of all the goodness of storage policy-based management um, with the Cloud Foundation workload domains. And of course, the other thing there to look at is the the... VCF leverages heavily vRealize and the vRealize suite. And so being able to do things with vRealize automation, um, with Ansible um, as a component that's added into vRealize um, to take advantage of all the automation we have. So if anybody's been, been watching the videos I've been putting out the or, the or the blog posts I've been writing, I've really been focusing heavily on automation, right? Because ONTAP tools is a very, very powerful REST API server in pretty much pr pretty much everything you can do in the GUI, right? Because ONTAP Tools also provides those GUI extensions. So, you know, your operations teams that are used to doing things in vCenter are able to take advantage of ONTAP features directly from the vCenter UI using those GUI extensions. But it's also like I said, a REST API server. So you can write your own code. You can, you know, download some of the modules that we've got out, some of the stuff we put out on GitHub for sample, um, Ansible samples, um, and some other stuff we're working on with vRealize Automation to be able to take advantage of that. So let's say you want to, um, you know, create a new tier of service, right? You can define that through automation. You don't have to log into UI and do that. Or if you want to, uh, change, uh, you know, the pol the default policies on a volume, right? You can do that through automation, and even uh, you know anything you can you can imagine you can do with storage. I mean, you can kind of do through 
um, through untap tools. And the reason why I, I harp on this being an important thing as opposed to just going directly to ONTAP and because it, you know, ONTAP is a great automation platform too, right? Because you can write REST API, anything that you can write to consume REST APIs, you can do with ONTAP for the most part, you know, whether it's PowerShell, Ansible, whatever you like. But OTV provides an integration point that has its own uh, automation. So what I mean by that is you can fire one REST API call to ONTAP tools that says, hey, create a data store make it match these requirements. And, and ONTAP tools will then from one API call, will then go make the necessary REST API calls back to ONTAP to create the volumes and whatever else you need. You know, create if let's say you're doing a block data store, you want to create a new block data store. So you create a volume, it'll create a LUN, it'll create an iGroup if it's needed, modify the iGroup if it's needed map it to the LUN, it'll tell the host to go rescan their storage, it'll tell the host to put a data store on that LUN, um, and then add it to additional hosts if it's necessary, right? So there's all these different steps involved in provisioning storage for a new data store that OTV automates for you. So it makes it simpler, removes barriers to adopting these kinds of automated workflows um, you know, especially for shops that, you know, maybe you don't have a lot of people to write long, complex, you know, automations, right? So we simplify that task for you. Um, it really just makes your life easier. Earlier, you mentioned that Vivol's adoption isn't super high. So I'm wondering if you have any theories around that. Is it, you know, features that are missing? Is it inertia because what they have today works? Yeah, you know, I know that's kind of the reason why people aren't moving from V3 to V4 as much because it's just, you know, especially in VMware data stores, because it's like, you know, why do I need to do that? What's the, what's the benefit? So are customers just not understanding the use cases and, and why you would move to Vivol's or is it something else? Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's a great question. I think there's a couple different things in there. Um, one is, you know, I mentioned a little while ago the fact that there wasn't necessarily, um, you know, for example, prior to Snap Center 4.6, we didn't have like a storage native backup application for Vivol's based VMs, right? So now with Snap Center 4.6, we have the ability to um, back up your VMs. And so the 4.6 is the first release of Snap Center that adds support for VVOL's based VM backup. So it's, um, you know, the feature list is, is a little bit short on there. Essentially, it's uh, crash consistent VM backups only. Uh, but we do have, um, you know, you can still do all the normal policy stuff. So you can, uh, by policy, I mean, Snap Center policy. So um, replicate it with, you know, Snap Mirror, what have you, do all that kind of stuff. But uh, some of the other more advanced features aren't quite there yet. Um, so I would say keep watching Snap Center releases because we're going to be adding a ton of features to Vivol's backup and recovery over the next couple of releases as we as we sort of play catch up, if you will. I, I think that was one of the big things. I know I did. I talked to several customers over the last couple of years who were like, uh, I would say before Snap Center came out. And they were like, yeah, this is really compelling. There's a lot of good stuff in here that we can really take advantage of. But, you know, we really like to use the storage side backups, right? The, the on-tap snapshots are incredibly powerful, right? You can do so much with them and there's virtually no performance impact. There's, you know, uh, incremental forever, all this great stuff. And plus, you've got the ability to tear those snapshots off to Fabric Pool or something for, for low-cost, longer-term retention. 
So there's, uh, you know, being able to have those, those storage native backups is, is really important to a lot of customers. Now we've got that, we've kind of taken that argument away. Um, another thing is a lot of a lot of people, I think, don't necessarily understand the concept of the VASTA provider. And, and when I talk to customers, that's that's one of the you know the big questions is um, especially if they're kind of new to VVOLs, is they they may not know that hey, this thing is is out of band, it's not in the data protocol. If something happens to it, your VMs will be fine, they're gonna keep running. Um, you know, if if somebody accidentally deletes the VASTA provider, heaven forbid, well, it's you know, it's okay. Your VMs are going to keep running. There's, there's no, there's no issue there because they're still running on the data protocol. They're not necessarily reliant on this command and control traffic. Now it's true. There's some things that you won't be able to do. So anything that we require managing the underlying VVOLs, you won't be able to do. So if you want to do one of those V motions or change policy settings and all that stuff, right. You got to, you got to, you know, redeploy the, uh, the VASA provider before you can do that. But here's one thing that's pretty interesting. And this actually got uh, improved with, I think it was the 4.8, really, excuse me, uh, 9.8 release of the VASA provider. So if you have some kind of failure of the VASA provider, um, what you can do is if you can't recover it, simply deploy a new one. It's just an appliance. It's just a VM. You just, you deploy it and it registers and it starts working again. Now, what's really interesting here is the, the VVOL's configuration for this vCenter with this VASA provider is always constantly backed up in real time into ONTAP itself. So ONTAP itself is the backup for the VVOL's configuration. So it's, it's stored um, persistently, it's stored uniquely, so you never have to worry about um, having to kind of you know, scrap everything and start over. So what you would do is you would redeploy the VASA provider. There's like a single command line command you run and it says, oh, this the storage you told me about, I need to go read my config off of that and it'll go read its config and then everything will be in sync again and you're off and running. It takes a couple of minutes. It's really not, uh, not that big of a deal. Now, another thing that we, we do hear some people um, talk about is the fact that um, even though you may protect it with fault tolerance or you may protect it with HA, right? And both of those are a best practice. If you, you know, it's, it's definitely recommended to protect it with HA if you can do it with FT as well, just to avoid those couple of minutes of downtime if, heaven forbid, something ever should happen to that thing. So going back to HA, um, if you look back at Insight last year and VMworld of last year, I did a preview. Um, we did a teaser preview of something that's it's, we're currently talking to early adopter customers. Um, we have one. Uh, it is in house at a VASA provider, or excuse me, at a at a a customer. Um, but NetApp is introducing this year, uh, hopefully this year. Um, Certainly the early access program is going on this year, a next generation VASA provider. So what does this next generation VASA provider do? And why does it, why is it so important and what does it improve? So what the what this new product is going to be is essentially taking it's all it's all new. It's a whole new product, taking all of our lessons learned and attacking this um 
this capability with modern um, cloud native architecture, right? So it's going to be containerized microservices, loosely coupled, um, intrinsically HA at every layer of the stack, and it'll support multiple vCenters um, being managed by the same VASA provider, multiple arrays managed by the same VASA provider. So it's going to be able to provide, if you think about VMware Cloud Foundation, this idea of maybe you have two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, however many workload domains plus your management domain, all talking to the same um, VASA provider that is intrinsically HA, it's automatically scaling, um, you know, quasi self-healing in the same way that all Kubernetes-based applications are, right? If a pod dies, another pod just pops right back up in its place. So um, that's essentially going to solve the last the last bit of what I see as, as hurdle we need to get over to really get to widespread adoption as VVOLs. And, you know, when you talk to VMware, if you if you go to VMworld and you talk to their um, store external storage leadership um, for vSphere, VVOLs is really their vision of the future. Um, to be able to provide, you know, these highly scalable cloud-style services, policy-driven um, with fine-grained controls, uh, it really is the way of the future. So I don't want to sound like a stick in the mud. <laughs> But I've been hearing it's the way of the future for a while now. And is that is that just something that it's a it's a gamble that VMware is taking, or do you see this as being truly the way we should be doing this? Like, is there is there not a better way to do this, and or is it just something that you know VMware is pushing because they have to because they've invested so much in it? Yeah, so it's interesting. There's some fundamental differences in the way VVOLs, um communicate to hosts from a protocol perspective, right? So um, I haven't talked about the concept of a protocol endpoint. So within, um, specifically when you look at block protocols, with SCSI, um, vSphere has some fairly tight constraints on how scalable SCSI-based storage is um, in terms of when you start scaling, when you try and when you're trying to deploy large environments at cloud scale, SCSI just doesn't really work without VVOLs. And, and the way VVOLs are able to work around that is through this concept of a protocol endpoint. So it's it, you can almost think of it as as a proxy, but not really, because I don't want to give um, I don't want to give the wrong impression, but essentially um, from a from a protocols perspective, just just to you know air and not the dirty laundry, but just you know how the sausage is made within SCSI, you've got this concept of not just LUNs but also um, uh, administrative LUNs or uh, administrative logical units or ALUs, and then you also have this concept of subsidiary logical units or you know SLUs. And what that allows you to do is communicate primarily to one LUN for your I/O for potentially hundreds, whatever, you know, however many LUNs on the backside are actually, um, are actually doing the IO. And this is one thing to think about here is with, v, with VVOLs and VMs, every VM file is, well, for the most part, except for the config VVOL, which, you know, we can talk about that if we want. But essentially, the important thing to, to remember is that every VMDK with a block protocol is its own LUN. So if you have, and typically for, for bare minimum VM, you're typically going to have at least four LUNs that make up that VM with VVOLs. 
right? So you can imagine if you had a thousand VMs, you're going to have 4,000 lungs just for those, those guys. But where this actually starts to, to be helpful is you're no longer constrained by these kind of artificial fences that are put up around a VMFS data store. You don't have to worry about things like space reclamation. You don't have to worry about thin or thick VMDKs that are bound by this VMFS boundary. Now your only constraint is what is actually possible within you know, the bounds of your actual storage array. Because, you know, like I said earlier, everything is a first-class object. So now because everything lives natively on the array, you eliminate all these artificial boundaries and allow you to truly achieve cloud scale um, in ways that you couldn't do that before. So as far as interoperability with NetApp goes, I mean, we talked about what, you know, versions of Vasa and Vivals we support. Does it work with things like FlexClone and all the other ONTAP features other than like just snapshots or is it something that, you know, is not quite there yet? Yeah. So, um, so actually uh, the only license, the only, what I would say paid for license, which pretty much doesn't like every bundle come with FlexClone now. Just I about. I don't, I don't oh. keep up the licensing things as much, but yeah. So the only required paid for thing that you need to use VVOLs with ONTAP is a FlexClone license. Um, and the reason for that is we actually, uh, like our cloning, a lot of our um, snapshot offload, I should talk about that too. That's incredibly powerful. So uh, with Vasa and VVOLs, you no longer have to deal with the, con- the, the constant problems that you face with Delta files and traditional VM-based snapshots. You can actually directly manage native VM snapshots through vCenter using Vasa. And the way we implement that on the storage side is by using FlexClone. So every time you snapshot a VM, we FlexClone those files. So those become your VM snapshots. And they become your your point-in-time copy that you manage directly from vCenter through Vasa. Because remember, Vasa provides that translation layer between what's in ONTAP and what vCenter understands to be the storage layout. And so these files, you don't have, there's no performance impact anymore, right? Because as we all know, there's a significant performance impact of using um, VMware snapshots with you know all these incremental Delta files, uh, just by the nature of the way the, the IO pattern is. And of course, they become a, a point of failure, right? If one Delta file in the chain has a problem, the whole thing is kind of, it's kind of toast. But, uh, you know, if you delete purposefully or otherwise a a flex clone, it it doesn't matter because each one is its own uh, distinct copy of the VM. So it's it's faster, um, dramatically faster to take snapshots. Um, It's to consolidate is nothing, right? There's no real consolidation anymore, I guess, right? Um, You can just roll back whatever you need to do, it's all done you know, natively through ONTAP. So that's tremendously powerful. So with FlexClone, um, now you're, you're flex cloning all these snapshots. You can clone from the snapshots. Um, you can do all, this, uh, all these kinds of things, taking advantage of ONTAP's, ONTAP's native capabilities. So that's, that's where I think bringing in FlexClone is uh, you know, really beneficial there. And of course, you know, we talked about snapshots, uh, VM scale snapshots through Vasa. 
You also have ONTAP volume snapshots that were taken advantage of through Snap Center. Um, and of course, Snap Mirror, um, Snap Vault uh, orchestrated through Snap Center. And of course, policy based disaster recovery with VMware Site Recovery Manager using Snap Mirror. Um, and then you can actually Snap Mirror. Um, for disaster recovery, and then do a tiered uh, snap vault for archival. So you can have both um, long-term retention and, and then your disaster recovery retention as well. So you can do, you know, VVOLS really gives you the ability to do a lot more than, uh, than a lot of people would think. So uh, earlier you were talking about REST APIs and how powerful ONTAP's REST API is, but you did mention, you know, or you hinted at that, that you know it doesn't have every REST API. Is is there any plan to expand that uh, to add more REST APIs to make the backup workflows work a little better? Yeah, so it's it's an interesting question, right? So one of the things that we had to build into ONTAP tools in order to support VVOL's backup with Snap Center is some some additional REST APIs. Because you have to have this, when you're dealing with VVOLs, you have to have true storage awareness. So it's not like we could just, just talk to ONTAP or just talk to vCenter. You have to talk to the VASA provider. So what we did, um, and I actually published a video and a blog post um, not too long ago, probably a few weeks ago at this point, um, talking about some of that, right? So now we have REST APIs that you can use to import replicated VVOLs, right? So you can manage... Um, VVOL storage that isn't necessarily something, some storage that you typically manage with your VASA provider. So to give you an example, and this is the example I used in the video was, um, let's say you use SnapMirror to replicate. Um, so let's say you use SnapCenter uh, for, for your backups of your VMs and you replicate those with SnapCenter, um, you know, using SnapMirror technology with an ONTAP but those replicated volumes, if you're not using SRM, you aren't necessarily um, having any kind of awareness of what is on the destination. So the destination is kind of a whole separate thing. Or even really in the primary data center, if you flex clone a volume manually and you're not doing these kind of things through the VASA provider, then the VASA provider has no way of knowing what you're doing. So what we've done is added more REST APIs to let you do things like import uh, unmanaged storage, and then take and register those VVOLs that are on that storage and then do things with them, like create new VMs using them or attach them to other VMs. Or, you know, you can write your own disaster recovery software if it's, you know, if you've got your own, you know, programming team, right? They could write, write code to catalog the configure of a v, uh, configuration of a VM and then track it with SnapMirror. And then if you need to uh, you know, reboot that VM in another data center somewhere. You take that configuration that you've stored through your own application and using our REST APIs, you import that unmanaged storage and then you can um, register those VVOLs and boot your VM up, you know? So it really opens up a whole new world of possibilities that just weren't really there before. And it's something we're, we're really working towards building as a as a foundational tenant of the way we do VVOLs is, is having that ability to build automation at scale. And, and that's one of the driving factors, you know, I mentioned earlier about earlier about those teasers I did at the last VMworld going forward VMware Explorer, right? 
And uh, of course, Last Insight, the teaser with that next generation scalable VASA provider. Um, so yeah, just keep a lookout for that because there's going to be a lot you can do building automation that takes advantage of these technologies. All right, excellent. And we, we can find those videos out on, on the YouTubes, I would imagine, right? Yeah, on the YouTubes um, and the blogs will be out in the communities. All right, we'll also add those to this blog that goes out with the podcast so that you can find them easily instead of just trying to guess where they are. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. All right, cool. Um, so, so Chance, um, you know, anything you want to add or do you want to summarize what we've learned here today? Yeah, I think just in summary, um, just in summary. Just, hmm. No, not my summary, your summary. <laughs> okay, so uh, in Chance's summary, you know, VVOLs have come a long ways from their initial inception, right? So now you've got, you're able to confidently deliver mission-critical applications on VVOLs, taking advantage of storage-native technologies that, that just aren't possible in traditional data protocols, right? VM, VMware virtual volumes, VVOLs, just bring up this whole new world of capabilities, um, fine-grained performance controls, um, tiers of service controls that aren't possible any other way, um, you know, to really deliver that, that cloud service provider experience um, either internally again or externally. So I think that's really, you know, the, the thing there is really to take home that it's, it's a, the, the scalable granular controls at cloud scale is what we're delivering there through whatever automation platform you want to take advantage of, whether it's vRealize or if it's, um, you know, Ansible, your own custom software, whatever the case might be. Okay. Excellent. All right. So uh, again, if we wanted to reach you, how do we do that? So yeah, just uh, chance.bingen, that's first name dot last name at netapp.com or you can reach me on Twitter at CB8 My Data Center with the number eight, and I uh, also uh, hang out on LinkedIn sometimes. So you can find me there as well. All right, excellent. Thanks so much for joining us and talking to us about what's new in the VVOLs implementations for NetApp. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. Yep. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at NetApp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you'd like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire TechOnTap Podcast team, I'd like to thank Chance Bingham for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.